Wow. That number seems like incredible to me. Yeah, absolutely. We have, we have administered in our country over 260 million doses of these vaccines. And in the background, I'm not sure people realize this or not, but we have a robust mechanism in place to look for any serious safety signals. And again, it's working because that's what led to the J&J pause. Right, right. And for those people who are listening, um, the questions and the email that Dr. Gustado is referring to is actually a survey that was conducted in Athens County by the Athens City County Health Department. And um, they wanted people to be able to, in our area, just respond, you know, to what is on the minds of people in Athens County. Yeah. So just so, a little plug in there. Yeah. Yeah. So with that in mind... With that in mind, if it's okay, let's go ahead and dissect the vaccine in general. You know, there are a significant amount of people who uh, feel that the vaccine was, it's not safe, it's been rushed. Let's reflect on that and dissect that a little bit. First of all, specifically when it comes to the mRNA vaccines, which are Pfizer and Moderna, those have been uh, used in clinical trials and those have been around since the 1990s. They are not new vaccines. They have been around since the 1990s. Uh, They have been used in various clinical trials for many, many years. Um, And um, it is true. We have not had these vaccines authorized yet for anything, but they're not new vaccines. So the way we got to these vaccines out was basically removing the red tape and taking away the financial risk of these vaccines by the federal government. We made the process much more efficient, but there were absolutely no corners at all cut in the scientific and safety integrity of these vaccine trials. They were done the exact same way we do other vaccine trials. And most importantly, I think a lot of people don't realize this. The way that we get vaccines reviewed by three independent boards is the gold standard of the world. We, there, is, there is no other country who emphasizes safety and has three independent review boards who are involved from day one when these vaccine trials uh, move forward. One board is called the Data Safety Monitoring Board. The other two are very well known, and one is within the FDA, a vaccine committee within the FDA, and at that table is a who's who of vaccine experts and scientists statisticians. There is no politician who sits on that FDA uh, review board. And I sat in on those questions because when that group meets, it's open to the public. Anybody can listen. They meet for about eight hours and they ask a lot of difficult questions. It's not a, it's not a love fest where it's a rubber stamping. <laughs> they ask a lot of difficult questions. And then after that committee signs off, uh, it's a non-binding vote. It goes to the FDA commissioner. So theoretically, this subcommittee could vote not to authorize a vaccine, and that that vote is known to the public, and the FDA commissioner could override it. That has not happened. I I don't see that happening. So after it goes through the FDA, and this is actually happening now, um, you know, on Monday this week, the Mm -hmm. Pfizer vaccine was officially FDA authorized for 12 to 15-year-olds. We're not ready to use it yet because it still has to go through another independent group within the CDC. The CDC has another independent group, uh, their uh, vaccine advisory committee, who, again, looks at everything with a fine-tooth comb. We want them to do that. They ask a lot of difficult questions. 
There are 15 voting members. There are also representation there from um, various medical societies, and they also make a non-binding uh, recommendation for this vaccine. This group is also meeting with very 100% transparency. If anybody wants to listen to the CDC Vaccines Advisory Committee meeting today, they are meeting today to hash out the recommendations for the 12 to 15-year-old for the uh, Pfizer vaccine. So they also make a non-binding vote. It goes to the CDC director uh, who can choose to endorse that or not endorse that. And then if all goes as planned, we will be able to uh, start vaccinating that uh, age group tomorrow with the Pfizer vaccine. So again, this is the gold standard of the world. This is how we review all vaccines. And uh, no other country does it this way uh, with such open transparency and this checks and balances. So really, theoretically, there could be a vaccine that is authorized by the FDA, but not recommended by the CDC. As an infectious disease doctor, when, when I see who is sitting at these tables, when there is a vaccine that is FDA authorized and CDC recommended, we need to feel confident in the safety of the vaccine and the efficacy of the vaccine. So where we are now, uh, May 12, 2021, which is today, where we are now, today in our country, over 263 million doses, that's a lot of people, have received a dose of the vaccine. When you dissect that, 140 million are Pfizer, 112 million are Moderna, and roughly 9 million are the J&J vaccine. And in the background, we have a very detailed, robust mechanism in place to look for any safety signals whatsoever. And that process, that mechanism is working because that's what led to the J&J pause where they identified a very rare but serious type of blood clot with low platelets um, in roughly one in a million people who received the J&J vaccine. They did a pause. They took a deep dive. Uh, they came out with more um, safety recommendations for the vaccine. We let doctors and healthcare providers know about this very rare but serious blood clot. And now the J&J vaccine is available again uh, with that nuanced message about this very rare but serious blood clot. And again, the J&J vaccine is a special vaccine. Um, it is a wonderful vaccine. You get great protection from the vaccine. But what's special about the vaccine is it's a one and done vaccine. And for many people in our community, uh, it's very challenging to come back for a second dose. Uh, people are afraid of needles. Uh, people get very anxious when they think about getting shots, but the J&J vaccine is still a very effective vaccine with a very, very rare safety signal uh, of a very serious blood clot that we know about. This type of blood clot we know um, is more common in people below the age of 50. It's more common in women, but again, it is very, very rare uh, for people to, receive, to have this type of blood clot. Uh, so again, um, those are the mechanisms that we have in place. Something else about the vaccines. You know, uh, these vaccines have ingredients in them that are very, very simple. There's not a lot of things in them. So let's dissect that a little bit. With the um, messenger RNA vaccines, there are only four things in those vaccines. 
none of the vaccines that we use have any type of preservatives in them. Um, that's why once you spike the bottle, you only have a few hours to use them because they do not contain any type of preservatives at all. So what do the mRNA vaccines have in them? What do the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have in them? Four simple ingredients. Number one, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, a little bit of fat, the, the lipid nanoparticle that protects the mRNA, a little bit of fat is in there. And then finally, the last ingredient in there is something called messenger RNA. Guess what? Every cell in your body uses messenger RNA. Messenger RNA is made by your cells every day. And when messenger RNA is made, it doesn't stick around at all. It's degraded within hours. It does not stick around at all whatsoever. So when you get injected with an mRNA vaccine, you're essentially um, teaching your body to recognize a part of the virus called the spike protein. So in the setting, if you actually become in contact with that uh, virus, with this contagious virus, your immune system is all primed and ready to go uh, to prevent you from getting sick uh, from it. But, but again, these vaccines, there's not a lot of things in them. They're very, very simple. Uh, and um, that, that's what's really uh, challenging because once the vaccine is spiked, you only have to use them for so many hours. Messenger RNA is not something that's very stable. It's degraded uh, quite easily. So, again, that, that was a lot that we dissected there. But, but the point is, um, these vaccines, they are safe. The studies had over 100,000 people in them collectively all together with three of them. We have vaccinated over 250 million people with these vaccines. Uh, we know about the safety signals with the J&J vaccines, but, uh, but there's nothing that's, uh, I feel confident in saying there's nothing that's unsafe about them that we don't know today that we didn't learn uh, throughout the last six months. Whew. <laughs> That's awesome. I think one of the takeaways I got right from the get-go, Dr. Gustavo, was that even though there was, um, you know, a group of people part of the clinical trial prior to the vaccine being approved for emergency use, that even though that clinical trial, um, you know, beforehand is, I mean, it was beforehand, that really all of the people who are receiving the vaccine now were still being watched, basically. That's I mean, correct. It's not just you know, we're done, one and done, and then we don't have to worry about it anymore. That's correct. So um, the, the, the clinical trials still are going on. Yes, that is correct. Uh, you know, Pfizer, um, as was recently announced, they have enough data to officially get FDA approval, and I expect that to be the case by the end of the year. One of the reasons why FDA approval takes such a long time is because they have to verify the manufacturing process. The FDA is, actually has inspectors that go into factories to make sure things are being done. And, and again, there was no, in, the, in this type of study that's done, there were no corners cut at all whatsoever in the scientific integrity of the trials and the way the trials reviewed, like I said before, is the gold standard of the world. And uh, these vaccines, I expect Pfizer and very likely Moderna to be officially FDA approved by the end of the year. But you know what? Like I said, at this point in time, knowing that we've had millions and millions of people get these vaccines, uh, I, I do feel quite comfortable recommending these vaccines to people um, who, um, who have not received the vaccine yet. Uh, another big myth buster out there is um, you cannot get COVID-19 
from any of the vaccines we have available in the United States. Uh, you, you cannot get COVID at all. But one thing that this dovetails nicely into, though, are the side effects that people can get from the vaccine. And you know what? Uh, yes, you can call them side effects. But from a medical perspective, the proper word really is reactogenicity. And what that really means is it's a reflection of your immune system being stimulated. It's your immune system learning to recognize the spike protein. So let's uh, dissect that a little bit with these individual vaccines. So as everybody knows, the, the J&J vaccine is a one-and-done vaccine. And I'm looking at the clinical trials uh, of the side effects from the J&J vaccine along with um, stuff that was voluntarily reported. The, the, uh, over 50% of people who get the J&J vaccine, it's actually 58% of the J&J vaccine, the most common uh, side effect reported is local pain at the injection site, followed by a little bit of redness, 9% at the injection site, uh, followed by 40% of muscle pain, 40% fatigue, 40% headache, 12% uh, fever. That's with a J&J vaccine. All of those symptoms resolve within one or two days. It is A-OK -okay to take Tylenol or ibuprofen if people begin developing any of those symptoms. With Pfizer and Moderna, those are two-shot vaccines. And um, if people have previously not had COVID, they usually have very little to no side effects with the first dose. But with the second dose, since your immune system's already been primed uh, to recognize the spike protein, the most common side effect uh, with Pfizer and Moderna uh, is local pain at the injection site, anywhere from 75 to 90%, uh, followed by muscle pain from 30 to 60%, a headache from 50 to 60%, a fever, from uh, 16 to 17%. And again, those symptoms resolve after one or two days. And there is some overlap with COVID uh, with those symptoms, but it's your immune response recognizing and processing the vaccine. So if you get vaccinated, uh, Dr. Gastaldo's recommendations for being vaccinated is don't skip any meals. Go in with a, a nice full uh, 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 food in your belly. Uh, just in case you have symptoms, you don't feel like eating. Uh, so go in with a nice, uh, don't skip any meals. Um, if you're on any prescription medications, do not skip those doses. Second thing is, after you get vaccinated, stay well hydrated. These symptoms like uh, muscle pain, fatigue, headache, fever, um, those symptoms are worse if you're not well hydrated. So stay well hydrated for a day or two after you get vaccinated. And this comes up a lot, too. People say, well, can I take Tylenol? It, the official recommendation is not to take Tylenol preventatively. However, if people develop any of these symptoms whatsoever, it is A-OK -okay to take a medicine like Tylenol or ibuprofen. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Gisaldo, I, I, um, I sit in the um, observation area during vaccination clinics, and, and one person told me that his wife, who had already completed two dose ther uh, series, said that she also recommends waffles as uh, a good follow up therapy after her. <laughs> and that's Tylenol, Mass, and some waffles. <laughs> Absolutely, because you know when you're not feeling well, when people have flu symptoms, if people have have muscle pain or a fever 
or fatigue, guess what happens? You don't eat or drink as much, and it makes those symptoms worse. Uh, you know, one of the things we tell people, too, when they have a headache, one of the best things you can do for a headache is to stay well hydrated. Mm-hmm. And when, when you have a headache and don't feel well, what do you do? You don't want to eat and you don't want to drink. So we, we need to give people the knowledge they need to make these uh, vaccine side effects more tolerable. Yeah. Dr. Gasello, we, we did have some responders with the survey who said there were some medical reasons why they were hesitant to get the vaccine. Can you talk about any uh, certain circumstances where people would either have to wait to get vaccinated or, or maybe should um, get approval from their physician before they get vaccinated? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of myth busting to be done uh, on that question. The only true do not get this vaccine is if you have a known history of a severe allergic reaction to any of the substances in the vaccines that I just mentioned already. Um, so, uh, again, in those vaccines, there's only four things. Uh, the rate of a severe allergic reaction is very, very low. Uh, we know that we, uh, and based on what's being reported from the CDC, we see more severe allergic reactions in women. We see more severe allergic reactions in those who have had serious allergic reactions. Um, but, uh, again, there's really no, um, like, uh, the, only, the only do not stop and not get the vaccine is if you have a severe allergic reaction to anything in the vaccine. If people have a weakened immune system, they can get the vaccine. Cancer patients can receive the vaccine. Now, when it comes to giving the vaccine to people with weakened immune systems, none of these vaccines are live viruses. We don't use live virus vaccines too much anymore. But uh, for people who have weakened immune systems, they cannot get vaccines that are live viruses. We also recognize, too, that people with weakened immune systems, the immune response may be much weaker. In fact, for example, we know transplant patients. We have learned that transplant patients don't have a good immune response to uh, the COVID-19 vaccines. It doesn't mean they don't get the vaccines, but really, as far as medical conditions goes, people with weakened immune systems, people who are transplant patients, uh, cancer patients, people with autoimmune diseases like lupus, uh, though all of those groups of people can and should receive the COVID-19 vaccines because they're higher risk of having a bad outcome if they do get COVID-19. Mm. That's, that's a big myth busted right there. Thank you for that. What about, we? you know, we do screen people for... Um, if they've had any antibody therapy or any other vaccines prior to uh, trying to receive their COVID vaccine. So, so for people who have been vaccinated, they just have to wait 14 days. Um, and yeah. for the antibody therapy, if they had had COVID and received some um, antibody therapy, is it three months they have to wait? Yeah. So let's, um, again, let's dissect that a little bit. So, Again, the CDC puts guidance out because things have not been studied. So the CDC recommendation is just because it has not been studied, the recommendation is if you have had any other vaccine, you should wait 14 days before getting a COVID-19 vaccine. And again, like everything related to COVID, there are always caveats and what-if scenarios. So, for example, let's say somebody... 
um, got their COVID-19 vaccine, and then the following day they got a bad cut and it was a dirty cut, and they are behind on their tetanus shot. So in those scenarios, the CDC does say that, you know what, if there's an emergency situation where somebody needs a vaccine, you don't have to, it's okay to give a vaccine shorter than the 14-day period. Just because it hasn't been studied, that's why the CDC gives the 14-day period. I remember my first day um, when we were given vaccines here at Ohio Health, there was an elderly woman who was in her mid-90s, she had advanced Parkinson's disease, and she came in uh, to receive her COVID-19 vaccine. She came from over an hour away, and uh, they were asking her about her vaccine. They said, hey, have you received any other vaccines within the last 14 days? And it came to uh, the attention that she got a flu shot 13 days ago. So that got escalated. That got escalated to me, and I said, "Yes, please give this woman her vaccine. It's close. Yeah. It's close enough. We we don't want to have perfection to be the enemy of the common good. Again, there's clinical judgment with some of these things when it comes to monoclonal antibodies. So specifically, when you say monoclonal antibodies, there's many many disease states that use monoclonal antibodies. But what I'm about to discuss is only monoclonal antibodies for COVID-19. So when uh, high-risk people get COVID, we often give them a, a lab-made antibody that makes a spike protein. And when people get these antibodies, they last in your body a very, very, very long time. It binds a spike protein. It prevents people um, from getting uh, sick and being hospitalized. Uh, so when they, people get these, they have a wonderful layer of antibiotic protection uh, for many, many months. So because the spike protein can, or because the monoclonal antibody can interfere with the immune response, the recommendation is if somebody has received a COVID-19 monoclonal antibody, they should not be vaccinated for 90 days. And to be all honest, they don't need it because the monoclonal antibody gives them a long period of protection. Now, that does not apply to any other monoclonal antibodies. There are many disease states, uh, MS a lot of neurological conditions, uh, cancers, who do give monoclonal antibodies for other medical reasons. Those people can receive their COVID-19 vaccine. Those monoclonal antibodies do not interact with the vaccine. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's clear. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like all good news, really. Mm -hmm. What about people who have already had COVID and are feeling like they do have, you know, their immune system is built up and their body will recognize the COVID uh, virus if, it, if they, you know, are exposed to it? Do they need to get the vaccine? Well, the simple answer is yes, they should be vaccinated, but let's reflect on that a little bit. So, yes, it is true. If somebody has had COVID, they have an immune response, and it does give them a layer of protection. How strong that layer is and how long it lasts, we really don't know. We know, now that we're a year into this pandemic plus, we know people who get COVID and have mild symptoms, their immune response is not as robust as somebody who has had covid who was hospitalized. So the, the take-home message is, if you've had COVID, your immune response uh, is really based on if you were really sick or you were minimally sick. And we know people who are minimally sick do not have that robust of immune response. Another thing that we don't know with people who have had COVID, how long that immunity lasts for. 
Does it last for a year? Does it last for six months? Does it last for eight months? We, we don't know that because everybody's immune system is different, and it's dependent upon their severity of illness with COVID. What we will know, however, is how long immunity lasts with these vaccines. We know a lot about the immunity from these vaccines that's continuing to be studied. When you get vaccinated, you're actually getting a better immune response than natural infection. And what we are still learning is the durability or the duration of the infection from people who are fully vaccinated. We will have the science on that for people who are vaccinated. We will not have the science on that necessarily with people who have had some kind of immunity from natural infection. So the CDC recommendation is for those who have had COVID, as long as they are no longer contagious, meaning that they're out of isolation, and as long as they have recovered from their COVID-19, they can choose to receive the vaccination. One thing I will say, though, is since their immune system is already primed up, the people who have previously had COVID, when they get their first dose, they are more likely to have some of those immune response side effects that we talked about with the first dose. Uh, and less so with the second dose. So again, we, we, a lot of the vaccine side effects have to do with expectations for those receiving it. And those who have previously had COVID to get the vaccine, uh, they do have more of those reactogenicity side effects that we talked about earlier. Dr. Gisaldo, kind of following up with that too, I'm thinking for people who've had COVID and think that they're protected, um, in comparison with receiving the vaccine, how do they fare against being exposed to a variant? Let's say. Yeah, so again, an another wonderful question. We, we, when all this talk about variants, variants scary because it is a lot. So we need to respect the variants. We need to test for the variants. And we need to uh, do lab studies to give us an idea of how the vaccines are performing against the variants. All of the variants that we have circulating right now in our country. The vaccines all give you a wonderful layer of protection with our current variants. And as more people get vaccinated, our numbers will go down. With fewer infections, there's less of a concern for variants. Now, when we talk about what's going on worldwide, the actual COVID curve worldwide is going in the wrong direction because of what's happening in places like India and South America. In our country, our numbers are going down. They need to go lower. But in other parts of the world, there is a concern with so much infection going on, uh, that's fodder for more mutations and more development of variants. And our current variants, just to recap, the variants we have in our country, the vaccines that we get, uh, give you a great, wonderful layer of protection of all the variants that we have. Now, there may be a variant that's not yet been identified or a variant in part of the world, like in India, that may come through uh, that doesn't perform, that, that um, we have to be concerned about with the vaccines not working as well. So that we need the scientists to continue doing those tests. Um, but, you know, as everybody knows, um, what happens in India, what happens in other parts of the world affects us. You know, uh, India uh, has a lot of COVID going on. There's a, a variant of concern there. And we are seeing that variant of concern uh, occurring in countries around India. And, you know, our world, we are all connected. What happens in India affects what happens in the state of Ohio. 
again, there's going to be a lag for those variants to get here, but our world is connected, and we need to respect the variants. And in public health, we need to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And preparing for the worst is all about recognizing the variants, studying them, and uh, being prepared maybe uh, for a booster someday if it comes to that. Wow. Is it, is it, I know. I'm, I'm sort of pausing here, but is it realistic, um, Dr. Gastaldo, to think that we have scientists now who are able to access some of the variants that are present not in the U.S., but present, say, in India or South America, to study them and, you know, look at the um, efficacy of our current vaccines against those variants that aren't currently present here? Oh, absolutely. That's being done now, without a doubt. That is being done now. That's why, you know, when we talk about public health, there's public health in different counties. There's also international public health. You know, the, it's, it's imperative that countries work together and study together and share information when it comes to variants. So, you know, um, uh, the, the, for example, the B117 variant, we call that the UK variant because it was first identified there. Another variant in the news is P1, it was first identified in South America. There was another variant uh, that was first identified in South Africa, and now there's this um, Indian variant because it was first identified there. So, in the background, what you described is already happening where they are doing lab tests to check for the immunity of the vaccines that we have with these variants that are out there. This is what science does, and we need them to continue doing that. Awesome. That's great. And, uh, you know, here we are past our time. There's always the way when we have a really uh, wonderful topic and a very knowledgeable speaker. And so, Thank you, Dr. Gastaldo, for everything. So can I ask if there's anything else maybe that you want folks to know who are listening about the vaccine before we... Yeah, so a couple things. Again, this is me talking as an infectious disease specialist. This is what I do for a living. Uh, for the last year and a half, I have been doing nothing but COVID. Uh, I, th I thrive in this. I'm very honored and humbled um, uh, to be doing this. I feel quite confident in saying these vaccines are safe. There's nothing experimental about them. The experiment is not getting vaccinated. At Ohio Health, uh, what we are seeing in the hospital uh, for people who have COVID are those not getting vaccinated. It's a contagious virus. The, the virus is looking for people to infect who don't have immunity. It's looking for people who, uh, to infect who have not been vaccinated. Um, so uh, it, it's important to recognize that. If you're young and healthy, you should get vaccinated. Yes, if you are young and healthy, chances are if you get COVID, you'll do fine and not have a bad outcome from it. But low risk is not no risk. Um, there are, I've seen uh, many young and healthy people uh, with no comorbid conditions come in the hospital. I've seen a few die from COVID, so low risk is not no risk. Number two, if you're young and healthy, you can spread COVID to somebody who has at-risk conditions or somebody like um, a, a, someone with a weakened immune system who got vaccinated where the vaccine didn't work. Um, the third reason is long COVID. Long COVID, we're starting to learn a lot about. Long COVID basically is a term that we use for 
um, long symptoms that occur after people have had COVID. And some of these symptoms are very debilitating for people. Uh, fatigue, brain fogginess, a persistent shortness of breath, a chest pain. Uh, long COVID occurs in people who uh, were not severely ill. And then finally, too, you know, if you are fully vaccinated, it's really, it's a sign of caring for your community. It's a sign of respect for your community and your loved ones. Um, and, and moving forward, we're starting to see this. We are now having pleasures and joys starting safely to come back into your life if you are fully vaccinated. Uh, the CDC, uh, I'm first to admit, needs to provide better guidance um, and improve guidance on what people could safely do when they choose to be fully vaccinated. But the people who are fully vaccinated can be indoors together without having to wear a mask, without having to physically distance. How wonderful is that? You know, um, uh, I'm one of five kids, and uh, we were able to have a, a good old-fashioned family gathering at Easter and Mother's Day because we were fully vaccinated and a lot of us were outside. So, so that was so wonderful. And moving forward, we're going to see more guidance on that. Um, but, uh, you know, these vaccines are wonderful. They are safe, and they are really our way of getting back to a better normal. Perfectly said. Thank you. So I agree. Much. And, you know, a couple of things I wrote down, which I absolutely love that will be repeated. And I will um, quote you on this, Dr. DeSalvo. The experiment is not getting vaccinated. That, that's correct. Yes. That's awesome right there. And the fact yeah, that I, and caring for your community to get vaccinated. Good. Anything specifically to parents? Because now we're going to have these 12 to 15 year olds who are going to be getting vaccinated, but no parents are making those decisions. Um, yeah. So, so again, for the parents, the, um, the FDA has authorized the Pfizer vaccine only uh, to be given to children from the age of 12 to 15. And again, when you talk about kids, it's kind of like um, a spectrum because, you know, newborn babies are different than eight-year-olds, which are different than 12 to 15-year-olds. 12 to 15-year-olds are essentially adolescents. And, um, uh, you know, they, they, their bodies perform more like uh, adults than they do uh, younger people. Um, and, you know, the Pfizer vaccine has been authorized already for 16 and above. So we have great safety information for those 16 and above. And, and there's no uh, reason to expect that the Pfizer vaccine uh, is going to act any differently from those age 12 to 15. Um, you know, ages 12 to 15, they can get sick from COVID. They could spread um, COVID to other people. I think um, as kids get vaccinated, guess what? If kids are vaccinated, they can get back to playing contact sports. They can, they can do things safely if they are fully vaccinated. How wonderful is that? And um, uh, they are part of the community. They're part of the herd when they get to herd immunity. So when 12 to 15-year-olds go to get vaccinated, they have to show up with a parent or a guardian. Uh, they cannot show up on their own. They have to show up with a parent or a guardian. Um, these vaccines are free. It is unlawful for anybody to get a bill for these vaccines. These vaccines are bought for uh, and paid for by the federal government. Now, one thing I will tell people, this is part of the mixed message, when you go to get vaccinated, guess what? They ask for an insurance card. So they'll say, hey, Dr. Cristaldo, you say the vaccines are free, so why do they ask for an insurance card? 
The reason they ask for an insurance card is this. The vaccine administrator at Ohio Health or the health department or wherever you get the vaccine, they can bill for an administration fee. They can bill for drawing up the vaccine and somebody pushing the plunger. They can bill for that. Most private insurance companies pay for it. If they don't pay for it or the patient doesn't have insurance, the federal government will pay for it through the CARES Act. But again, I want to let everybody know, these vaccines, it is unlawful for anybody to get a bill for these vaccines. And in fact, if anybody does get a bill for these vaccines, uh, they should call the attorney general's office because it is completely unlawful for anybody to get the vaccines. But just to let everybody know, they do ask for an insurance card because they want to try to get money for the administration fee. Um, the, um, uh, the, the people who give the vaccines uh, cannot uh, bill for an administration fee uh, to the person receiving the vaccines. Perfect. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate um, everything that you've talked about today. I, I don't know how anybody listening today could have any more doubts about vaccine safety, um, the yeah. care and care. And one other thing, too, you, you guys are down in, in a rural uh, community. You know, I'm from a rural county. I was born in Tuscarawas County, um, uh, north of the Athens County area, and I have a lot of family and friends there. You know, the, the science, science benefits everybody. You know, we, we have such wonderful science has really brought a lot of pleasures and joys and safety to our lives. Science benefits everybody, no matter who you vote for, no matter who you love, no matter where you were born, the color of your skin, science benefits everybody. These vaccines are science. They're, they're not experimental. The experiment is not getting vaccinated. And, and we need to engage everybody uh, in every community about the safety and efficacy of these vaccines from a vantage point of caring and respect. I talk to a lot of people. I don't talk to them. I talk with them. And part of that conversation is me listening so I can get an understanding of what their concerns are. And we really need to take this respectful, caring message to all zip codes, all counties, uh, to really listen to people uh, from a vantage point of caring and loving. That sounds great. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking some time out to be with us and to, answer, to address some of the questions that we've heard in Athens County on our, on our survey. Um, and thank you, Scott, for recording this as well so we can share it with others if, if need be. Um, thank you, Dr. Gustavo. We really do appreciate your time. Thank you. And again, I'm very honored and humbled uh, by this opportunity to talk with you guys in the community down in Athens County. You know, COVID anywhere is a threat anywhere. What happens in Athens County uh, is, is, is impacts the whole state of Ohio and impacts the whole country. We are all connected. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Gastaldo, this is, this is Scott Daly, uh, producing, hosting the program here. If, if I can yeah. ask you real quick, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today and your wealth of information, folks. We've been uh, hearing from Dr. Joseph Gastaldo. He's an infectious disease specialist with Ohio Health. 
And uh, I can't thank you enough for the wealth of expert information you're sharing with us this morning because folks that I visit with, they have questions that you may have just answered that they don't know where else to go to get those answers. So Kim and Ruth, kudos for you for scheduling Dr. Gastaldo. And if I could very quickly to get you, okay, three things I took away from this too. A, A lot of folks tell me, they are suspect of the reactions slash side effects. If I could get you real quick, again, the three things I took away was to keep hydrated, keep eating regular meals, and also don't stop taking medications that you normally would take. Is that correct? And is there more that you can add quickly to tell people, if you are experiencing these, what to do? Yeah, so again, you hit them all uh, perfectly. Again, the most common side effects from these vaccines are pain and discomfort at the injection site. Um, Other side effects could include mild flu symptoms, uh, such as a headache, muscle pain, uh, fatigue. Uh, Some people will have a low-grade fever. Some people will have a high fever. Symptoms resolve within one or two days. Um, The most important thing to do is not skip any meals. In fact, Try to have a uh, eat a big meal before you go in, just in case you don't feel like eating after you get vaccinated. Staying well hydrated is very important. It makes all of those symptoms less severe. And of course, if you develop any of those symptoms, have a low threshold to take a medication like t- over-the-counter Tylenol or over-the-counter uh, ibuprofen. Very nicely done. And again. Uh... I can't thank you enough. I know you speak a lot in the central Ohio area. I understand uh, you've spoken to large insurance companies in the central Ohio area. Uh, yeah, also, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen you on Channel 4, too. Uh, very nicely done. And, folks, again, these are the types of folks that may go unnoticed behind the scenes while we contemplate getting the vaccination. I've been vaccinated. I've had both shots. Uh, So we encourage you to get that, as uh, Dr. Gastaldo said. Once we have that happen, we can start having these gatherings again. And as he mentioned, you know, family gatherings, things like that as well. So, again, uh, huge thank you for your generosity of your time to join us uh, here this morning. So, uh, Kim and Ruth, thank you again for bringing on uh, Dr. Gastaldo. Uh, Thank you again. And I I can't say thank you enough, and and I probably will continue to do so. Uh, too, well, so. I, 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 I appreciate that. You know, one of the one of the things I do, I do a lot of, uh, like you just outlined, I talk to a lot of businesses, but I also talk to uh, different groups, uh, specifically different topics, and Facebook talks and this, that, the other. And, um, you know, what I always like to know when I talk to different groups, who my audience is, because I, I do know different audiences have different questions and concerns that matter to them. For example, uh, my, my mom and dad are very devout Catholics. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of misinformation about the vaccines. And one of the things regarding the misinformation about the vaccines is uh, a, a pure myth that people have a hard time understanding is, hey, what do the vaccines, do they have any connection at all? Uh, for example, uh, a big myth is um, byproducts of abortions are used to make the vaccines. And that is completely a myth. And for some people, they really want to dive into that consideration and kind of talk about where that came from and uh, this whole discussion about fetal cells. Um, and again, there's, there's no uh, byproduct of abortions that go into the vaccines. 
However, to be completely transparent with people, uh, fetal cells are used. Fetal cells are cells that were obtained from elective abortions. Uh, one cell line was over 30 years ago. One cell line was over 40 years ago. If I take a Q-tip and swab the side of my mouth, I can get cells that will live essentially on a Petri dish forever. Um, after I'm long gone, those cells can live forever. So there are fetal cell lines that originally began from elective abortions over 30 to 40 years ago that are used um, for some certain parts of the vaccines. So let's do the J&J vaccine first. For the manufacturing of the J&J vaccine, the J&J vaccine is different from the mRNA vaccines. For the manufacturing of the J&J vaccine, they actually use a fetal cell line that originated from the 1980s that still exists today. For the mRNA vaccines, for the manufacturing process, they do not use a fetal cell line. But earlier on, very, very earlier on in the um, discovery section or in the research section, for one small step, both Pfizer and Moderna did use a fetal cell line. But they do not use a fetal cell line um, uh, for the manufacturing process. And I know that that's, a, that's an important uh, deep dive for, for those uh, that are Catholic. And I come from a very big Italian Roman Catholic family, and we talked about this. You know, the, the uh, American Catholic uh, Church Bishops Association has a nice statement online that anybody could read about. And the statement basically boils down to this. As a Catholic, you have a moral obligation, and it is suggested morally, to get vaccinated. They also state, too, that since a fetal cell line is used in the J&J vaccine, if somebody has access to their choice of a vaccine, getting an mRNA vaccine is more morally acceptable compared to the J&J vaccine. But they also say, too, that if your only access is a J&J vaccine, that it's okay morally to get the J&J vaccine. So again, that's a, that's a detailed conversation, but for certain people in the community, that's an important conversation that they want to take a deep dive in. Um, and again, that same thing too, within women's health, there is a lot of misinformation within women's health. Uh, for example, oh, the vaccine uh, induces infertility. Uh, that, that is science fiction. There is no credible science behind the vaccine inducing or having anything to do with infertility or irregular menses. Uh, but uh, again, there, there is a vocal anti-vaccination community that, that's out there. And what I was referring to earlier, talking to people in a respectful, non-judgmental manner, those are concerns that people have uh, because they hear about it on the news or social media. And, and we need to talk with those people from a vantage point of love and understanding so they can uh, get those uh, answers for them before they can hopefully choose to get vaccinated. Absolutely. Thank you for that information. One more thing. Where can people go to dispel these myths if they happen to hear something? Because word of mouth travels fast. We all know that. Social media travels fast. Is there a website or someplace 
folks can go to check out if this is for real or not? Yeah, uh, uh, again, you, you have to find information that, is, that you know that is trusted. So, for example, Ohio Health on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, they have uh, a lot of this myth busting going on on a regular basis. A lot of a lot of um, places do that. I know Mayo Clinic does that. Ohio Health does that. We we put uh, information that's out there. So again, when you get information about COVID or for that matter the vaccine, you always want to know who is the source coming from. And again, um, I'll use it. I'll give an example. When it comes to a COVID nineteen vaccine, would you rather get information from me or um, from somebody uh, who? is a, a vice president at AEP or Panera. Again, I have friends who work there, so I, I say that knowing that they'll uh, not, not throw shade at me. So, again, you have, to, you have to ask what people's credentials are when they get a vaccine. You know, science is complicated, and reporting on it in the news is complicated, too. You may see a headline that is factually correct, but you really have to understand the context of what's being said. Uh, science, science is complicated, and, and it's hard to have uh, de- detailed discussions about science with the general population. Absolutely. And, well, can I just, and Scott, can I just add to you that the Ohio Department of Health, their coronavirus.ohio.gov website, they also have um, there's a, a link specifically for COVID vaccination program, and then under there, there's a myth versus facts link you can go right to. Right in the Howard Department of Health website. Terrific. You want to re, uh, re, repeat that again, please? Sure. The, the, the uh, link is coronavirus.ohio.gov. There and you go. And then it's just two clicks away. You hit the COVID vaccination program link, and then on that page you'll see something that says myths versus facts. There you go. Folks, uh, we certainly hope this has been beneficial. I know it has been for me. I've been uh, glued to my headset the entire show here, too. So, uh, Dr. Gastaldo, again, uh, a huge, sincere thank you uh, for all you do to help uh, with information with the vaccinations, with the COVID-19 virus itself. And, uh, again, we thank you for coming on the program here on Make It Happen on 970 WATH and spreading uh, the, the wealth of information once again here in southeastern Ohio. So with that, uh, we'll wrap it up. I'm sure he has a, Dr. Gastaldo has a busy schedule today. And again, uh, thank you for your your time here to share with us this morning. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You bet. Tim and Ruth, thank you too. And thank you for the sunshiny day today. Thank you. (laughs) We delivered. Oh, yes, you did. A Hall of Fame day, let me tell you, as far as sunshine goes. Uh, We'll talk again next Wednesday here on 970 WATH with Kim and Ruth and uh, maybe another guest, too. But, Dr. Gastaldo, please come back and visit with us soon. I think he has uh, already gone there, too. So, anyway, ladies, thank you again. Have a blessed day, week, weekend, and we'll talk again Wednesday. Bye, Scott. Okay. Bye-bye. We join CBS News in progress. Here with the latest on the coronavirus. We'll continue to be your home for information and firsthand accounts of how America is coping and how you can too.